Okay. Good morning, everyone. I am Mark Murphy, a software analyst with JP Morgan, and uh, we are very pleased to be hosting Alteryx CEO Dean Stoker and CFO Kevin Rubin uh, this morning. <clears throat> and as you can see, they they actually made it into their office. Uh, looks like uh, pretty nice weather down there. Uh, so thank you for joining us. I'm going to kick it off with a handful of questions, uh, but we, for the benefit of the audience, we can also take questions from you. And you would do that by cl clicking the Q&A button, which uh, is probably going to be at the bottom of your screen, and then uh, typing in your question. And I believe that it's going to anonymize that, so the audience is not going to be able to see uh, your question and, and who you are. Uh, but we'll be able to field those. Dean and Kevin, welcome to the conference. Uh, it's great to have you, as I said. Why don't we start uh, with a very brief introduction of yourselves and the company and uh, the types of problems that you're solving. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Uh, first of all, uh, thanks for having us. And uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to everyone who's impacted by this in, in incredible ways. You know, I, I think um, one of the comments I made on the earnings call was that the genius of humanity is not that we're going to come out of this, but the genius of humanity is that we're going to be stronger when, when we all do. So uh, we're very hopeful for uh, good things in, in front of us. Uh, my name is Dean Stoker, uh, Chairman, CEO, co-founder of, of Alteryx. Uh, been running the company for 23 years, uh, self-funded for those who don't know us, self-funded for 14 years. When we saw the go-to-market uh, open up in 2014, we started raising money. Uh, raised 163 million three rounds over four years, took the company public, uh, and it's been a wild ride since as we begin to really understand what's happening in this data science and analytics world. Our platform, uh, this, this, um, uh, analytics process automation platform is prosecuting almost every challenge that you can see in business today. We provide it to banks to do derivatives modeling. We provide it to airlines to hedge fuel. We, we uh, are mitigating risk in insurance underwriting and eliminating churn and, and wireless contracting. Uh, almost every functional area is seeing benefit uh, around the world uh, with our platform. Code-free, code-friendly, uh, making it really easy to define a data science and analytics culture as companies around the world march towards digital transformation. Good morning, Kevin Rubin, CFO. I've been with Alteryx uh, for a little over four years. Excellent. Thank you for the intro. Uh, Dean, maybe we could begin by uh, just talking about where you think we are in this process of democratizing data and analytics and trying to change it into a self-service market. This is something, um, as you said, you've been at it very successfully for a long time. Uh, can, you, can you explain to us what you have achieved along those lines and then what work you think remains uh, to be done to really turn this into a mass market? Well, the evolution of, of data science and analytics has been kind of a, a long slog for, for most. It, it's pretty clear if you look at the entire tech stack from top to bottom, uh, things have, have um, evolved in incredible ways. We've gone from, in a general sense, across the entire stack, we've gone from systems of record deep in IT to systems of engagement out in the line of business. And when it comes to data science and analytics, the the most important part is knowing what question to ask. And, and the reason we have to go towards a self-service market, the reason executives around the world are beginning to democratize data and analytics is the context 
around the questions in, in business exist in the line of business. And rather than having scientists deep in IT using tools of yesteryear to try and skate towards an answer to a big problem, they're actually turning a, uh, a, a an intuitive user interface uh, over to the 54 million analysts around the world who just want to love their jobs again. They want to be contributors to to profitability in, in organizations. And this is why we see the, the growth of, of Altrix around the world. I, I think that, uh, you know, analytics is, is clearly becoming more and more strategic to large global enterprises. Uh, every data, data worker uh, can solve uh, simple to complex challenges. If, if machine learning is ever going to eat the world, we're going to have to amplify human intelligence first. Okay, well said. So, so Dean, um, along with that, your vision has been expanding uh, steadily, very successfully. You have come to dominate, I would say, the, your original uh, core market for data prep and blending. Um, in recent years, you know, we've certainly been noticing there's more focus on building kind of a platform. You talk uh, a lot about predictive. You talk about modeling. You talk about uh, catering to, to data scientists. Um, elevating up the continuum into, you know, use cases that are always becoming more complex. Uh, can, can you explain maybe in simple terms for this uh, uh, people in the audience who may be a little non-technical, just where you're heading and why you have that vision? Well, there's, there's two parts to it, I think, Mark. And, and it's, I think it's important for everyone to, to understand that analytics is a continuum. It isn't, there isn't a, a one-stop um, solution to analytics. Analytics is a continuum from descriptive analytics that might end up in a dashboard. It might be prescriptive analytics that might tell you what to do next. It might be um, predictive modeling that's going to help you guide your decisions in the future, all the way to machine learning that automates uh, and, and exports human intelligence into machine intelligence. And, and this continuum, uh, to your point, starts with actually being able to understand the data, to, to bring in disparate data sources from the cloud, from the ground, from fire to book, things behind the firewall, from SQL, NoSQL environments, Hadoop environments, PDF documents on your file system. We allow you to ingest all the data you need to get to, to that next part of the continuum, which is getting to answers that help drive businesses forward. The second part of this, and of course we built our platform to address the entire continuum. It's not a point solution. It is a an end-to-end -end platform because everyone starts at some point. Usually they start with data prep and blending. They get to dashboarding. I saw an interesting article yesterday where some pundits were saying that the dashboard is dead. Well, I'd say the dashboard isn't dead. The dashboard just is at the lowest point in the analytic continuum. And I would argue, and I have argued on, on calls like this, that that uh, you know, our opportunity is probably five times bigger than the opportunity of a click Power BI and Tableau combined. Why? Because the, the rest of the continuum is what's going to drive the 10 to $15 trillion of value that's locked in, up in data sources around the world. The second part of this uh, platform, though, is about automation. More and more we've seen organizations begin to automate kind of routine, mundane sorts of tasks. And just like the analytic continuum, there are players uh, at the low end of the continuum that, that get you started on, on uh, bots that allow you to do simple kinds of things. 
What's going to happen in the end is that the analytic continuum and the automation continuum are going to converge. And this is how organizations are going to get to true digital transformation is when they have the analytic continuum in the, in the hands of line of business analysts and trained statisticians, along with this, this focus on a hyper focus on uh, automate, uh, automation. And once we do that, we're going to free up time to allow analysts to go solve the next problem on bigger data to get bigger outcomes. Okay, so it, so it's broader than the dashboard, and it's gonna uh, it's gonna be crossing over into automation. I want to come back to that in just a moment. Um, before we do, I wanted to touch on geospatial uh, because I I think at times investors may tend to forget just how strong your capabilities are in the geospatial realm. And um, in particular, you know, with the backdrop of the spread of COVID-19, um, I, th- I think you had mentioned you have customers using your geospatial uh, capabilities to monitor that. Can, can you explain that asset and uh, what's unique about it and, and how that's being used? Well, it's interesting. We, uh, I'm not sure if people have taken the time to look at our name, but Alter YX, Longitude Latitude, um, we began the, the, the business around geospatial analytics. Uh, geospatial is a kind of a weird science. It has to do with X, Y, and Z coordinates in and on the, the surface uh, of the earth. And, you know, everything that happens in business happens somewhere, uh, where the supply chain is where the products are grown, where the, the products are being shipped to, where they sit on a on a shelf in a, in a store. It's all a geospatial um, uh, discussion that needs to be had in almost everything that's going on in business. So we have customers who use geospatial to uh, improve logistics. We have uh, customers that, that look at OD pairs for airlines uh, to understand jet fuel consumption. We have um, uh, retailers who do hyper-local merchandising to understand supply and demand and what should be on the shelf at any moment in time, and not just what store and what aisle, but how far up the aisle uh, from, from a visibility standpoint. Uh, so geospatial is particularly important. If you take a look at COVID, for example, you know, it, from start to finish to recovery, it is a uh, data and analytics challenge. And some of our customers... Um, some of our prospects actually have built uh, tracing models to understand using GPS data coming from phones with Q, uh, QR codes on the health of the patients. They're beginning to track uh, how people are getting infected, and it's, it's just a geospatial problem. So we entered the, the space with geospatial prowess because it's probably the most misunderstood aspect of, of analytics we figured if we prosecuted this the right way that all the predictive modeling, machine learning uh, modeling would actually be a lot easier. And I think we're, we're proving that out. Uh, uh, Dean, uh, I think you've also been proving out. Uh, you've had a great ability to get ahead of the trends uh, in terms of some of the demographic shift. And I wanted to, to touch on that as well. Can, can you walk us through what is changing when, when you look at the, uh, the kids that are coming out of college today, when you look at the skill sets uh, that they're trained in, you know, I think a lot of times we hear this, they're not trained in, uh, let's say, SAS or SPSS quite as much. Um, what, 
you know, what is kind of disappearing from the lexicon, if you will, and, and what do you think is becoming, you know, what is replacing it? We hear more about Python and R. Can, can you try to explain the, the basics of that? Well, I, I, I think that, that um, to my earlier point about modernization is everything is moving out of, of systems of record deep in IT, and they're moving out into systems of engagement in, in the line of business. You know, right, right over this hill that you can't quite see out here in the window, there's a, a little um, elementary school near my home where they're teaching uh, machine learning with Python to fourth graders. So what, what's happening in the world is people are beginning to go code-free, code-friendly. They're using open-source technologies in much higher degree. They're amplifying the skill sets. And if, if you talk to executives around the world, the biggest thing that they're concerned about right now isn't what technology to buy. It isn't how many, you know, uh, people to, to hire to, to run the technology that they do buy. But it's amplifying the skill set of the workers that they have. And digital transformation is, is all about uh, up-leveling up the skill set of, of the workers so that they begin to understand data as a strategic asset of an organization, to begin to leverage uh, uh, every component of the continuum of analytics to, to drive value for the organization. And they're expecting that, that these citizen data scientists, these 54 million that exist in the world, and the emerging next generation that will all have data science and analytics skills, that they begin to automate routine tasks to drive value for, for organizations. I don't. I, I don't think it was a revolutionary idea. I think it's an evolution that that occurred. I think we've proven that analytics is a social experience, and people want to learn from each other. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. We just rolled out as as part of the post COVID response. I, I don't think many people are thinking about the 30 million Americans and the 100 million around the world that have been displaced, furloughed from their jobs or or rift in, in some fashion. And uh, one of our employees said, hey, what are we going to do about those folks? And recognizing that it's pretty easy to engage in data science and analytics, we provide amazing uh, learning systems that make it easy to get started. We, we rolled out a program called ADAPT, uh, uh, Advancing Data and Analytics Potential Together. We rolled it out last Thursday. As of this morning, we have 5,000 unemployed people who have registered for it. In 30 days, we're going to get them certified on our platform. Uh, they're going to have a, a potentially a nano degree in business analytics on their CV, and they're going to provide better economic opportunities for themselves and their families, and they'll be at less at risk if we ever see a, a pandemic like this again. So I, I think it's just a, a, a natural evolution of what's happening in, in the uh, tech world. Okay, that's great. And uh, doing good while doing well. We, we uh, really appreciate your, your efforts there. Um, you, I, I did want to come back to Dean. You had used the word automation uh, a moment ago, and we noticed you just launched a new category, and you're calling this analytics process automation. I think you, I want to say you launched it uh, uh, just in the last week or two. What exactly is that, and and why why are you feeling the need to uh, launch this new category? Well, this has been a long time coming, Mark. We we we've noticed uh, since going public, and actually even prior to this, there was rumblings that the data science and analytics world was way too fragmented. Uh, it, it was it's little understood, I think, by 
the vendors in the community. There are thousands of players all doing interesting things. And in, in, in some cases, it might be machine learning algorithms for next best action models. It might be a, a vertical use case. It might be a point solution. It may be a platform like ours. But there's a ton of confusion about what do we mean when we talk about data science and analytics? You know, all the confusion over the last few years about, you know, even, even, even dashboarding being analytics, and it's just one component of the analytic continuum. At the same time, if the vendor community has been confused, the buyer community is confounded. They're not really sure what to invest in, what to buy to, to see success in digital transformation. So to bring this chaos to order, we knew that we had to actually define a category of software that kind of put everyone in, in into place. Uh, we believe it's a, a a powerful ecosystem of companies that, and entrepreneurs that are part of this uh, APA uh, area. But just like we saw with with a workday in human capital management or a service now with ITSM or a Salesforce with Salesforce automation, it's time that somebody uh, announce a category around this. And we believe that uh, analytics process automation is about amplifying uh, skill sets, most importantly, to see data as an asset and analytics as a prowess, only then um, are you going to actually see true value in digital transformation. Okay. And, and what, does this have any implications on go-to-market motion or anything else operationally that we should be thinking about? Well, you've seen in, in the last uh, few months some of the announcements we've made. We, we Last summer, we stood up a um, global strategic alliances uh, effort. Uh, we, we know that that um, digital transformation is real, particularly in the G2K. Uh, we put together a program that included a, uh, a global elite category at the top of our our um, program. Uh, aspirationally, it will deliver a billion dollars, one billion dollars of revenue to Altrix over a five year period. Um, the good news is PwC stepped up to uh, to be the first global elite. A partner that we have. So the go-to-market, I, I think you've seen us talk about uh, our our ability to secure G2K customers almost every quarter. Uh, this Q1, we ended up with 731 G2K customers, 37% uh, of the, the global 2,000. And, you know, our goal is to have 100% uh, of the G2K over the next few years. And Part of the go-to-market will be improving our C-level messaging. Our, 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 while we continue to do our bottoms-up land model, we continue to uh, refine our playbooks on our top-down um, uh, expand model. And we're going to do that not just directly in the market, but with our global partners. Okay. Um, we And I, will, I want to acknowledge uh, we do have um, a handful of questions coming in, and thank you to the audience for that. Um, I'm glancing at them, and there is some overlap with questions that I plan to ask. So let me let me just keep going here for a couple minutes, and then and then I want to come back to to some of this. Uh, and, and starting with at a high level, uh, it's a question obviously on everyone's mind. the The impact of this COVID nineteen uh, pandemic in the long run on BI. Um, you you know we, you had mentioned you did business with hotels, you did business with airlines and cruise lines um, in the first quarter, I think. So some of us are trying to weigh and understand, is it something that's going to increase the, the significance of BI and analytics uh, 
near term, medium term, long term? Uh, is it is it somehow we get questions as well? Will it accelerate the the movement of of this activity into the cloud? Uh, well, it's going to accelerate the the importance of analytics for sure. I I, I don't know if it will necessarily uh, influence the movement to the cloud for many things. Uh, clear, clearly, with collaboration software, we're we're on a, a Zoom meeting. Um, you, you see some of the collaboration tools doing quite well in the market, but I, I don't think that that. Uh, that necessarily means that analytics are going to move to the cloud. Most of the, the large enterprise uh, data sources don't exist in the cloud. You know, we, we have an on-prem and a, uh, a cloud offering. Uh, we allow you to run uh, anywhere you want. There, we have instances where you can go um, um, invoke a, an Ultrix server, for example, an AWS or Azure for 9 bucks an hour. Uh, and we just have few few takers because most of the data doesn't exist in the cloud. So we allow the analysts to consume anything, APIs coming from cloud sources, uh, data behind their firewall, uh, PDFs coming from their local file system. We're sort of agnostic to the data. I just think that COVID is the accelerant for um, uh, focus on data science and analytics. COVID is the accelerant for focus on data science and analytics. Okay. Um, now, um, so along those lines, um, and, and Kevin, I'd, I'd love it if you could uh, comment on this as well. The You mentioned a bit of uh, kind of month of April uh, stabilization on the earnings call. Um, it sounds like the activity levels, you know, had picked up. I think many of us are seeing that. Now, at the same time, uh, we've read some of the headlines in the, in the past week, and you've got more layoffs. Some of them are, are pretty large scale. Um, we unemployment numbers continue to tick up. Um, it's hard to know where that is headed. Uh, is there anything you can share with us to just give us um, a little more insight into what you're hearing and seeing from the customer behavior? Oh. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. Uh, to to your point, we did comment on the call that we had uh, we had seen activity resume in April. Um, you know, activity levels were similar to what we saw last year, uh, and that was in contrast to kind of the abrupt slowdown we saw and experienced in March. Um, you know, look as 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 I kind of outlined as we think about guidance going into Q2. Um, you know, we do have a fair amount of the quarter that's coming from backlog. Uh, we have a small portion that's coming from renewals, and and then uh, the remainder from from new bookings. Um, you know, all I, all I will say is, you know, we continue to see um, you know good engagement from customers, and so. Uh, you know, at this point, you know, I think guidance is our best indicator for, uh, you know, how we feel about the quarter. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dean. Well, I was just going to say I, I spend quite a bit of my time not just talking to our associates around the world, but lots of executives. And the engagement level is actually pretty incredible. And I, and I think that there's, you know, a little bit of fear and uncertainty and doubt in their minds. But they're all skating towards this need that they got to be ready when the next thing happens. And what the, what the next thing is, I, I'm not sure what it is, but they know that they, they are um, uh, not really prepared and they're beginning to focus in on the upskilling of their workforces. Okay. And now just um, to, to drill into this a, a little bit, the activity that improved in April, mm -hmm. it, was that a reference to uh, sort of the volume of new logos? Is that 
are you talking about net new bookings? Um, uh, is it renewal activities? And I, we've been getting questions on, were, were you were you trying to signal that that's getting back to plan? Or were you, were you trying to sim- signal that that was, it was uh, get, kind of getting back to what it felt like last year? Well, I think we were only signaling the fact that uh, new logos were continuing to come in. Uh, it turns out it was consistent with what we saw in April of last year. And, and more importantly, that the high-risk verticals that have been identified by you know, third-party sources um, continue to buy. You know, we had 35% of our, our uh, uh, new logo uh, business in, in April come from high-risk verticals. And so, again, th- this is why we are seeing scenario planning being a common use case today. They buy ultras. First thing they do is try to figure out what end is up and, and how to make sense of what's happening so that they can uh, report internally and, and know what to do with either risks that they've got going on or rationalizing software portfolio spend and uh, things of that nature. So it, it, it is not related to our expansion business. It was only to isolate new, new customers. Okay. Okay. Understood. Uh, now, and here's a good tie-in with uh, one of the questions from the audience. So I'll just read this. It says, nice revenue print last quarter. In the guidance, what does it imply in new ACV growth year over year? This says, I think it may imply down as much as 40% year over year. And what is driving it? Deterioration in renewals, duration, uh, anything else? Yeah, I mean, we, we don't comment specifically on, on ACV growth. Uh, we did provide this quarter uh, the milestone that we crossed over $400 million in ARR. Um, you know, look, at, at the end of the day, um, you know, as I kind of built up, you know, how we think about guidance and, and where it's coming from, uh, we did comment that we saw some moderate uh, increase in churn rates in Europe. So, uh, you know, some of the quarter is is being impacted by that dynamic. Um, duration has not materially changed, so guidance did assume that we'll continue to see two years on the duration front. Um, but look, there there is a, a change in in ultimate activity, and and you know our revenue growth rate assumes you know roughly ten to fifteen percent growth, which uh, is different than we've experienced historically. Um, so there is some change in activity, obviously. Okay. Um, another question from the audience says, I have heard that a lot of Alteryx adoption occurs through word of mouth with analysts seeing other analysts using it. With everyone working from home, has this viral adoption slowed? Uh, no, not at all. In fact, I, I, I would argue that we have uh, a very frictionless uh, model, both in the land and the expand. Uh, as you know, we start with a 14-day trial, whether it's uh, a new customer or an expansion customer. It generally starts with a 14-day trial. They download it. We have all kinds of learning programs. We have tutorials. We have um, use cases. There's, If you go to community.altrix.com, you'll see one of the most powerful uh, communities within the B2B, even the B2C software world. We actually had a record number of attendees on our community uh, in the month of April, uh, which shows that people are still willing to learn. They're still willing to share. We can do it remotely. Uh, we, we don't see any impact there. We actually stood up as part of our work from home uh, effort, a virtual solution center, uh, because part of the expansions are actually 
helping people get to success. Sometimes that's done on site, but we had, I don't know, uh, several hundred uh, customers join us for virtual solution centers where via uh, video conferencing, we're able to help them execute uh, analytic pipelines and, and help them optimize their results in our platform. So uh, it's actually been quite encouraging. I, I think that it may send a signal that working from home might be um, more in our future, wh- whether we get back to normalcy or not. I think that we've seen that we can be very productive with, with our uh, customers working remotely. Okay. Um, so I, I, I'm going to come back to a couple more questions um, from the audience here in a moment. Let me ask you this. Uh, in terms of just how you're operating the business right now, you have some uh, tailwinds. You have some headwinds that, that you've mentioned. Um, what, what do you think you would change? You know, so uh, a couple months down the road, if the environment improves, what do you think you would change operationally? And if things deteriorate, what, what would be the next step? Well, I think Kevin um, illustrated that we we posted the 400 million ARR. Uh, we know what our cost structure is. We're going to have a healthy balance between top-line growth and, and making sure we remain profitable. Um, I, I actually I think that there's a little change in our operating behavior. I think that the key for us is, and I think you're going to see this in the ensuing four quarters, you'll probably see more innovation in our product roadmap than we've had in the last 10 years. Uh, we have a whole bunch of new SKUs and products coming out. We, have, we rolled out our uh, assisted modeling uh, capability uh, the first part of the year. We're starting to get some uh, global brands to adopt it. Uh, you'll see the, uh, I won't give you the name of it today, you'll see it next month uh, rolling out a an important part of our platform that unifies the experience even more between designing analytic pipelines and automating analytic pipelines in support of our APA uh, category uh, messaging. Uh, you'll see browser-based designers uh, later in the year. Um, we've shown them at our users' conferences this past year to, uh, with much excitement, um, talking about, you know, uh, something we have called the Intelligence Suite that will be coming out later uh, in the summer. So lots of g- great innovation, probably more than we've, we've ever seen. And I think that that uh, our go-to-market is going to remain the same. I think that what, what, what you're going to see is acceleration in the things that matter most to customers, and that's innovation. Okay, so that so the pedal is to the metal on the on the product innovation is what it sounds like. Can, can you talk a bit about um, – you know, how you would handle headcount, um, because I think, I think Kevin, the, the as you mentioned, um, the guidance for Q2 is for, is for a slower revenue growth rate, and I believe um, you have kind of, I don't want to put words in your mouth, you've slowed down the hiring engine, I'll put it that way, you've paused or slowed down the hiring engine. W- what would you need to see to uh, kind of re-engage on that? And I'll tie it in, you know, one of the questions that's coming in online is, it says, if business conditions remain consistent through June, will you provide a full year guide on the Q2 call? Yeah, I mean, I think the important message to convey ultimately um, is we are going to be balanced and disciplined around growth and profitability. Um, as we indicated on the call, uh, we did uh, – You know, we did maintain staffing levels uh, as we go through Q2. Um, We're looking at 
productivity and activity metrics, specifically unit economics, to inform us on what we're seeing on a top-line performance basis. And to the extent that we start to see momentum uh, in top-line activity, that would certainly inform us on uh, how we think about uh, hiring activity uh, resuming. Uh, at the moment, you know, we are, you know, adjusting uh, and maintaining levels uh, based on the activity that we see in front of us. Um, in terms of the, the question with respect uh, to guidance, look, we have, we have reasonable visibility and provided guidance for Q2. Uh, we, we believe that there's a, a fair amount of uncertainty and variability uh, for the remainder of the year. Um, if that visibility and uncertainty changes, uh, then you should expect us to communicate that. But, you know, sitting here today, it would be hard for me to comment beyond Q2. Okay, yeah, <clears throat> that's. I think that's very understandable. Um, so let me go back to it uh, as well. You're mentioning the trade-offs between growth and profitability. I think we're down to about two minutes, by the way, so this might be the last one. Um, you had provided these long-term margin targets at the uh, last analyst day, and that included, I think there was a four- to six-year time frame on them. Um, at the time, have you seen anything in the environment? You know, four to six years is a long way out. Is there anything in the environment that, that changes uh, the timing in achieving those targets? I, I don't think so. And, I, you know, some of the color we provided at the time was, uh, you know, obviously we were in a different buying environment. And so we were focused very, you know, uh, largely on um, expansion and, and, and really uh, kind of a land grab, if you will, as we continue to build out our global activity. Um, you know, we still think the long-term prospects of this business uh, are probably even stronger today than they were, um, you know, when we, when we had the conversation uh, last year at the Analyst Day. But look, I mean, it, it is a function of the environment. Uh, we think this business can be incredibly profitable and, and generate a, a strong amount of cash over time. And it is going to be, you know, ultimately a dynamic of, of, you know, what we see in the market going forward. At the moment, we're being, you know, very cautious around the investment. And we think it'll, um, you know, ultimately yield in a better outcome as we get through this. Remember, we're a, an analytics company, so we're very careful and in uh, what we do and, and discipline and how we manage the business. So uh, just know that we've got our, our eyes on all the, the metrics that, that run the business and um, we're doing the right things for investors. Okay. I, Dean, that's a perfect uh, note, I think, to end on. We're, we're out of the uh, allotted time. Um, I want to thank you very, very kindly for uh, taking the time to, to join us today. It means the world. And uh, with that, we will uh, conclude the meeting. Thank you. Thank you all. Bye-bye.